Let's pray before we look more closely at God's word together. Heavenly Father, we pray that the seed of your word would go down into each of our hearts and would indeed produce a harvest of righteousness. So may it do its good work in us and then through us out into the world, we pray. Amen. Well, between 2006 and 2011, seven seasons of Man vs. Wild were produced. Uh, maybe you've seen some of them. Uh, they're very popular, certainly with my kids at any rate. Uh, in each episode, uh, Bear Grylls, a former SAS soldier, is dropped into some of the most dangerous places on earth. And in the intro to each episode, he says the following, these immortal words. My name is Bear Grylls, and I'm going to show you the skills you need to survive. Well, as Christians in the world, we are also in a very dangerous place. Think about it, we are up against formidable foes, the world, the flesh, the devil, and spiritually, we are in an environment which is very hostile to faith. Lots of people who have at some point in their life professed Christian faith don't survive spiritually. The first century Christian community to which this letter was written were themselves in a hostile environment. Uh, they were caught between, you could say, a rock and a hard place. They had been rejected by their own people, the Jews, and ejected from the synagogue. But they were also being persecuted by the Roman authorities. Uh, they were viewed as a subversive, illegal religion. And so they attempted to renounce Christ. They attempted to return to the safety of Judaism because Judaism was still a permitted religion under Roman rule. And therefore, the survival of their Christian faith was looking very tenuous indeed. And so the writer of this letter is writing them to encourage them to hold fast. He wants them to survive, to come through this difficult time. A bit like Bear Grylls, he is saying to them and to us today, my name's the writer to the Hebrews, and I'm going to show you the skills you need to survive spiritually in this world. Well, how's he been doing this? What have we seen in previous weeks? He's been doing this uh, through a sort of two-pronged strategy. He's been wooing them and woeing them. Uh, wooing, showing the supremacy and the greatness of Christ. Uh, woeing, that is warning them of the catastrophic consequences of falling away from Christ. And uh, you'll be pleased to know that we've got a woo and a woe here, both in chapter 3. Uh, as I don't have time to both woo you and to woe you, uh, we'll be very quick with the woo. All right. So firstly, the woo, which is in verses 1 to 6. Jesus is greater than Moses. As I mentioned, these Jewish Christians, they're tempted to go back to Judaism. Uh, you could say, effectively, they're going to go back to Moses. They're going to give up Jesus for Moses. But the point the writer is making is, don't do it. Jesus is far greater than Moses. Uh, what he talks about, and the, the comparison revolves around this term, God's house, which is another way of saying God's people. So firstly, uh, Moses is part of God's house, that is God's people. 
whereas Jesus is the builder of God's house, which we see in verses 3 to 4. Secondly, uh, Moses is a servant in God's house, but Jesus is the son who rules over God's house. Therefore, he's saying, don't go back to Moses. Hold faithfully to Jesus. Uh, Look at verse 6. And we are his house, that is God's people, if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. So we've seen the woo, now we move on to the the woe, which is in verses 7 to 19. And indeed it extends on into chapter 4. So we'll have more woe next week. I hope that's not too, too foreboding, please do come back. But the heart of the woe is anchored in a dark chapter of the writer's reader's own history. He reminds them of the generation who were liberated from Egyptian slavery only to then tragically die in the desert. And from it he draws timeless spiritual lessons, uh, spiritual, you could say, survival skills. Because, you see, what happened then was not just the mistake of that generation. It's a potential mistake for every, every believer in every generation. Uh, their physical journey in the desert has a parallel with the spiritual journey of believers in every generation, and we ignore it at our peril. Uh, 500 years after the Exodus, the psalmist applies it to the Israelites of his day. And so, a thousand years later, at the writers of the Hebrews, he realizes he doesn't need to reinvent the wheel. He needs to simply quote Psalm 95 and then apply it to his readers and to us. And that's what he does. So what we're seeing is these spiritual survival lessons, they are timeless. Look at verse 7. This is what the writer says, quoting uh, Psalm 95. So, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as you did in the rebellion, during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, and for forty years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation, and I said, Their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. So the question we need to ask this morning is, what are the survival skills that will help us on our spiritual journey to heaven and to the new creation? What lessons can we learn from their history so that we don't make the same mistakes? Well, firstly, hard times call for hard choices. Uh, To state the obvious, uh, life in the desert is hard. Uh, Life in the desert for the Israelites would have been very tough. It's a hostile environment. The resources for life are scarce. As Bear Grylls reminds us, without the necessary survival skills, they will die. It's a testing time in which they will have to make choices, spiritual choices of how to respond. Uh, It's actually referred to here as a time of testing, that is, God's testing. Uh, If you are with us in our sermon series on the Lord's Prayer, you may recall that we saw there that in times of hardship and disappointment, two things are happening simultaneously for the Christian. Uh, Tempting 
and testing. So on the one hand, in a time of difficulty, Satan is tempting us. It's negative. He's trying to trip us up. He wants us to move away from God. But at the very same time, in that very same situation, something else is happening. God is testing us. It's a positive thing. God is seeking to strengthen us through it. He wants us to move closer to him. And therefore the point is this. In every difficult or disappointment we have, we have a choice of unbelief or of belief, of doubting God's goodness or trusting in God's goodness, of moving away from God or moving closer to God. Tragically, the Exodus generation chose to succumb to the temptation. Uh, it says, actually, to quote the, the writer, they tested and they tried God. And they doubted him and they doubted his promises of a paradise land. They chose unbelief. Another way which it's described here is that they hardened their hearts. And therefore, the challenge for every generation since then is this. Beware a hardening heart. That, if you like, is the key survival skill. Keep your hearts soft before God. Look at verse 12. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. In chapter 2, he's warned them of the danger of drifting. It's gradual, it's subtle, and it's a process which happens over time. But now he's talking about having a sinful, unbelieving heart, which we'll see is then described as a hardening heart, which is a gradual, subtle process over time. Just think about those Israelites in the time of testing in the desert. You can see how it would work for them. As the days passed into weeks, uh, their initial euphoria at liberation from slavery in Egypt would have subsided. And a new realization would have set in. Hey, this is hard. Why didn't God take us on the direct coastal route? It's only 400 kilometers from Egypt, Canaan, if we went along the coast. Uh, we could have called in on some nice coastal resorts on the way. We could have had kebabs by the sea. It would have only taken us a month at maximum. And instead, God has led us into this dry, baking hot, hostile desert. Why? I don't understand, they say. God was not doing what they expected him to do. This was not the way that they would have chosen. Maybe they thought that their circumstances therefore justified a bit of moaning, a bit of complaining. But in God's eyes, it was unjustified. In God's eyes, it was the choice of unbelief. It was dangerous. In God's eyes, they were hardening their hearts. And it was like a rolling stone that gathered momentum down a hill. After complaining once, the second time was easier. The third time, easier still. And all the while, their hearts were hardening. Their complaints seemed more reasonable. The response of faith, less reasonable. And their unbelief gathers momentum until finally, the destination on their ticket change. From fertile dreamland to desert doomland. They never reached the paradise God had offered them. 
So let's bring it closer to home. In times of difficulty or disappointments, the Christian is faced with a choice. Belief or unbelief. In this situation, will I choose to believe? Will I trust in God's goodness, in his wisdom, in his sovereign control, even though I don't understand why this is happening? Or will I choose disbelief? Will I feel this gives me a bit of leeway to be cynical or to complain, to, have, to nurture a heart of bitterness against God? When we choose to trust in God, in difficult times especially, we are keeping our hearts soft. We're making hard choices in hard times, and that is a key spiritual survival skill. Now, the second uh, spiritual survival skill we see here is what we could call a communal cooperation. In other words, helping each other. Because what we see is this. Spiritual survival is a community project. In his wisdom and his grace, God has designed us to benefit from fellowship together. And therefore, in some way, I help you and you help me to keep my heart and your hearts soft. A communal approach to our faith is actually integral to the way that we learn and that we grow. Look at verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See what it's doing? It's underlying the, the vital importance of fellowship with other Christians. It may be in... Uh, Formal gatherings like today, it may be informal gatherings, it may be church, it may be Bible study, it may be prayer meetings, it may be mealtimes together, it may be meeting up for coffee with people. But wherever it is, that is a vital part of our life together as a community of God's people. Encouraging each other to keep having soft hearts, to keep responding with belief, to keep trusting Jesus. In other words, We pastor each other. And that is one of God's given means, one of the ways which God encourages us to keep on track. So it is great indeed, of course, to catch up with each other, to find out how we're doing, to share news. But the challenge is this. How can we take our conversations to an even deeper level? How can we, if you like, get spiritual topics onto the agenda of our conversations? What you could call... Uh, God talk, finding out how we're actually doing spiritually. It may be after a service, it may be when we meet up at other times. Uh, We can ask someone, hey, how are you going in your Christian life? We can ask them, what have you found helpful or indeed confusing about the sermon on Sunday? And discuss it. Uh, I knew a wonderful uh, godly lady who would often ask me, uh, whenever I met her, James... What has God said to you today through his word? Put me on the spot. Uh, I don't know, Pat. Uh, Let me think. And after a while, when I saw her coming, I was thinking, I better start thinking, what has God said to me through his word today? There it was. It was doing great work in my life, encouraging me to think, what is God saying to me? And so we can encourage each other. We can ask each other, have um, have you read anything which has been really encouraging of late to your Christian walk? Uh, Maybe we could read it too. 
if you're married to a believer, uh, to what extent is a spiritual support and encouragement of each other part of your daily relationship? Uh, Trace and myself have been setting ourselves the target to at least twice a week uh, read God's Word together, because we read it on our own, but to read it together, and then to pray together at least twice a week. Uh, maybe that's a good target to have or some other target to set so that within our marriages, if we're married to a believer, we can encourage each other spiritually. So, uh, spiritually encouraging each other, it's a key survival skill. A third survival skill here is to beware spiritual complacency. Uh, to not rely, if you like, on our spiritual yesterdays. Uh, did you notice how many times the word today came up in the text? It's there at least three times. There is a big emphasis on responding with belief today. Today. In whatever situation you're in, the writer is saying make sure you're responding with belief rather than unbelief today. Regardless of what's happened prior to this, it's faithfulness in the present that is important. Did you notice that the writer seems to be at pains to emphasize that the people in that Exodus generation who didn't make it were on the face of it saved people. And what he's wanting to do is he's wanting to strip away any complacency that arises from a a once saved, always saved mentality. And look at verse 15. As has just been said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see... They were not able to enter because of their unbelief. So you see, it doesn't matter how long ago it was that we were saved. It doesn't matter what experiences of the spirit or of ministry that we have had in the past. We haven't reached heaven and the new creation yet. And so verse 14 says... We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. Therefore, of course, what matters is where we are spiritually today. Are we continuing to make that choice of believing today? Because it's quite possible the writer is saying to be a professing Christian, but to not survive spiritually. Like Israel, to be saved out of Egypt but to end up dead in the desert. Now maybe um, by this point, uh, some of you are twitching, so to speak. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, what about the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints? What about it? It's a wonderful doctrine. Uh, That's the one which states, of course, uh, once a person is truly born again, nothing can separate them from the love of God. In other words, once saved, always saved. Well, that is absolutely right. Uh, It is wonderfully true, and that is absolutely the case. But the point is this. That mustn't allow us to then drift to a point of 
complacency. We mustn't let that truth drain the adrenaline out of the challenge the writer is bringing. He is saying how we respond, the choice we make today is of vital importance. We have a responsibility to keep going. And indeed, the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints demands that the saints choose to persevere, that we do persevere. So, the third spiritual survival skill is not being spiritually complacent, choosing today to keep believing. Uh, Then finally, uh, the the fourth spiritual survival skill is keeping God's word active in our hearts. Because at the heart of keeping our hearts soft is our response to what is called here God's voice, his word, the Bible. Verse 15 again. As has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And therefore, of course, it's vital that we not only keep listening, but applying God's word. God's word keeps our hearts soft when we allow it to shape our thoughts, our words, and our actions. And so therefore, we need to keep thinking to ourselves. We need to keep asking each other. How do we keep God's word active in our lives and hearts? Because, of course, that's the challenge of the parable of the sower. It's the rocky ground. The shocking thing about the rocky ground is, initially, the word is received with joy. There is growth. There is signs of life. But it doesn't last. The soil is shallow. The heart is rocky. And there is no real root. And the plant ultimately dies. So the question we need to ask is, how can I keep God's word active in my life? So in conclusion, we're not yet in the promised land. We're not yet in heaven and the new creation. The only way to get there, of course, is to hold on to Jesus until the end. And so that calls us to be wise now, to remember and to use these survival skills in our everyday lives. Let's recognize the danger, therefore, of hardening hearts because none of us are immune to that danger. Let us, therefore, be proactive in keeping our hearts soft and let's also encourage each other to keep going, trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're all there rejoicing together in the new creation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we live at this time effectively in the desert. We're up against the world, the flesh and the devil. It's a hostile environment to faith. We're still on that journey to the promised land, to the new creation. And we need your help to get there and we need each other to get there. Please, we pray, help us to adopt and to keep sight of these vital survival skills which your word has brought to our attention today. Help us to beware the danger of hardening hearts. Help us to keep our hearts soft, hearts which joyfully sit under your word and continue to mull on to think through how does this word, this passage of scripture, change and shape me to be the person you want me to be. And help us also to have this deeper level of community life together that richer level of relating together where we 
we ask each other how we're going spiritually in our Christian walk and we encourage each other and we share resources and our encouragements and our frustrations. Help us, we pray, therefore, to increasingly be the people you want us to be as we go on this journey together to the new creation. And we ask this all in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.